Welcome back to Third Base Dugout, episode 110, presented by Dorm Room Sports. We have like a week and a half left of the baseball season, and Aaron Judge is still sitting at 60 home runs, and I don't know if he will ever get there because ESPN just keeps cutting to his at-bats, and I think as long as they keep doing this, he's never going to hit a home run. Um. That had to like look. I I love baseball. I I I absolutely adore baseball. That's why I'm on this podcast. But the fact that during college football Saturday yesterday, ESPN continued to cut to Aaron Judge at bats in the middle of plays and games. I don't know if that's the way to go about you know spreading good news about baseball. The worst part of it was that. In between pitches, they cut back to the football. Like, if you're going to cut out the football, just commit to the entire – Right, game. exactly, yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, in that case, you might miss, like, a whole drive, though, because a baseball at bat can last <laughs> last a while. Yeah. can last a while. Um, well, gentlemen, before we get started, make sure you go follow us on Twitter at Third Base Dugout. Um and follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. It takes five seconds at most. So you're already here listening to it. So just pull your phone back out and hit the plus button or the follow button. It's pretty easy. Um, everybody's weekend go okay? Coots, let's start with you. How's your weekend? Have a good weekend? I did. Sorry about that. I did have a good weekend. It didn't consist of a whole lot other than relaxing and Watching football, college, and NFL. Kind of, I think it was the first weekend. So I've been, I've been working full time for probably a f- two, a two almost three months. I think it was the first weekend where I could put my feet up and, and relax. And boy, was it relieving. So, yeah, not yeah. not too much. I hear you, Mike. How how was your weekend? How did how'd your weekend start? No, 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 never mind, never mind. How'd your weekend end? I want to get to how your weekend started later. Uh, my weekend ended with me going to sleep. Not what? That usually <laughs> happens, I hope. Nah, it, it was a cool weekend. Uh, similar to Coots, like, this was, like, one of the first weekends in a while where I just kind of got to relax. Um from working church obligations and running for an office on the school board, um, politic and campaign and all that good stuff. It has been uh, very, very busy. Like I never thought I would be that dad or that parent to be like, hold on, wait, let me check my schedule. And then immediately pull out my iPhone calendar to see what I have going on. But it was good to look at it and say, oh, I have nothing going on this weekend. So like to just, when you get older, you guys may not understand it right now because you're younger, but when you get older, naps are very important. And to be able to take a nap on Saturday was amazing. I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. Let's all right. Well, let's let's get to how your weekend started. Shall we? Magical. Uh run of the mill, like dad dad stuff. <laughs> I mean, I I think you're missing the wide point of me trying to ask how your weekend started. No, I want to save the excitement for one moment. I don't want to pop well, off break, break the news. <laughs> it was a great weekend. I um, got to witness history 
and seeing my favorite player of all time hit his 700th home run. So 699 and 700 came back to back at bats. Absolutely electric. You know, and I was blowing up the group chat as soon as it happened on 699. And then as soon as 700 came, I couldn't text it fast enough. But it was an absolutely amazing weekend to be able to watch uh, Albert Pujols uh, become the fourth all-time leading home run hitter. And the fact that he's the first foreign-born player to hit 700 home runs. It's wow. pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Um. I'm just glad that Andrew Heaney and Phil Bigford are the two that are now etched in history in Albert Pujols' life. I mean, like Andrew Heaney just being like the commander of giving up long balls, and then Phil Bigford's luscious locks on the mound are now etched in history in that in in baseball videos that will circulate forever. If I you, was a, go ahead, go ahead, Coots. I was going to say just a, if you watch the the full second at bat for the home run he grooved two hung two sliders right before he hit kind of a dotted slider on the inside yeah. to hit this it is 700 that was just one thing i wanted to point out that i don't know what was going on in bigford's head but you know it was definitely so he he, he was definitely thinking about the 700 yeah and he just grooved two right before i was like oh my god albert you missed it you missed it <laughs> Yeah, and then, and then it happened. So, yeah, like that was the part that threw me off. I thought that he definitely would have relied on fastball to at least that third pitch after missing on two sliders. And I mean, Paul was taking him, you know, what I mean, but missing location horribly. Um, but then, like I said, that third pitch wasn't a bad pitch. It was just a good right piece of hitting. In, yeah, right in his wheelhouse, man. And it was, it was awesome. Yes, I would have loved to have seen it happen in Bush Stadium in St. Louis. But I can't really think of a better place for it to happen than the Dodgers. Yes, it's going to be me fanboy and sentimental moment for, for a second, but the Dodgers basically revitalized Pujols' career even for like the last year and a half. Like they gave him a chance after he got released from the Angels. They brought him in, like that clubhouse, that team, um, and kind of, you know, gave him a boost again. Um you know, so to be able to go back there and, and do it, um, if if it wasn't St. Louis, that would have been one of the top places I would have picked for it to happen because it's a historic stadium, but also what that franchise did for him last year. They got him pumped enough to say, hey, I can still play this, and then to come back to St. Louis for one more year. Um, so it was a cool moment. Like I said, seeing his excitement, most of the time he's kind of stoic. But for this year, he's been all smiles and giggles. And to see him just, you know, light up uh, was a cool moment to see. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, the, it, it just – it happened to be in the stadium that holds the most people in all of baseball, which is cool because that means the most amount of people possible could have gotten eyes on – Seventh home run, seven hundredth home run of our Bulls career, um, which is cool. I wouldn't uh, imagine too many of them expected it to happen that game. No, but, <laughs> I but mean, I you mean, probably expected six ninety nine that game with Heaney pitching, but yeah. you know, to follow it up with Bigford <laughs> going for seven. Um, but I will say that, like, out of all the milestone home runs I've seen somebody hit, 
that fan catch was the cleanest. Like there was no scrum, there was no fight. Like he got it, <laughs> and then he immediately got escorted out of the stadium because they were like, "Yeah, come on, buddy." Yeah. Um, but Pujols has already said, like with all of his milestone home runs lately, it's been, man, the fans can keep it. The souvenirs are for them. Uh, if I'm that fan, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, <laughs> no, I, I, I low-key want to sell you this ball. This is an absolute lotto ticket. Like, that is at least a half a million dollars that you were telling me that I can keep. No, I'll, I, I'll trade you. I think that, I think that ball would be much more than what Pujols would, and the Cardinals would even be willing to give. Yeah, but, okay, so – like you, you're telling me that ball wouldn't go out for an like at an auction for over two million dollars. Mm, probably not though. I would say I would say cap, no. I wouldn't get a million because if you think about it, like yes, it's just seven hundred. It wasn't like it was seven sixty three. You know to break, you know to break bonds. Because um, like the estimate on six ninety seven when he went into fourth all time. Was it like five hundred thousand? So I, I would say probably seven fifty or seven hundred fifty thousand. But either way, that's a lotto ticket that you're like, hey, somebody buy this. Who wants it? Um, you know, Albert. Even if you're not going to take this ball back, can you sign like a couple other ones? <laughs> so right. <laughs> I think I think the, another cool part of it was the first thing he did after he touched on plate was go over to, to Beltre Beltre behind yeah. behind home plate. I thought that was, that was yeah. a cool moment. Absolutely. And, and the fact that his, um, his kids were there to see it. Cause like his kids now live in LA, um, you know, after he went there with the angels, obviously, but then stayed around with the Dodgers, they've stayed in LA. Um, so for his kids to be in the stadium and to see it and to celebrate in that moment with him, like that was that was pretty cool. Um, I told I might have said it in a group chat, but I was like, I've never really felt like I was a part of another person's accomplishments before. <laughs> but this felt different. I was like, man, like it was it was cool. Like I was getting congratulatory texts like I hit the ball. And I was like, bro, I didn't do it, <laughs> but I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. So, I thought it was my my favorite thing of it was how I for me on the outside, I know Mike obviously you're following it a lot more than than I am the Cardinals as a whole in general, but from the, like the way Pujols has kind of said, you know, if I don't get 700 at the end of the season, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging it up regardless. Mm-hmm. Like that to me and like all of his other home runs he hit leading up to the 700, it didn't seem like he was as excited as obviously he was for 700, but I didn't expect the level of excitement that yeah. he had going around the bases and coming around home plate. Like, yeah. He he looked like ecstatic, like uh, weight lifted off his shoulders. Like it 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 obviously meant more to him than I thought it did. Yeah, and I think that you know, yes, obviously the excitement was for him, but I think that just from everything of like following him in his career, it seemed like he was more excited in some ways for the fans to be able to witness it than for himself, right? Like I said, when he kept making that comment, "Hey, if I don't get it." okay, cool. I'm fine with it. You know, but I think that when it was over, yes, he was excited for himself, but he was also more excited for the fans, you know, to be able to see it and witness, you know, the history that was made because of how much they poured out to him. So. And even if he hadn't gotten it, the race of him get it like the, just like the whole race of the, the race to 700 would have been, yeah. would have been exciting 
regardless of him getting it or not. And yeah. obviously now it's just icing on the cake, whatever he does from here out. True. Yeah. So I will share this one little part. And then Brian, if you are insisting that we move on, we will move on. Ah. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know if you, did you guys see the clip of Greg Amsinger from uh, MLB network? Mm-hmm. Okay, oh yeah. So, yes. So you like know, April, like Friday night in December. Yeah. Yes. Like eight, it was like April 12th. Like, so they showed the clip afterwards. He said he predicted at the beginning of the season, he's like, Pools will hit number seven, 700. He said, but sorry, Cardinals fans, it won't happen in St. Louis. He said, it's going to be a Friday night in September off of, off of another hall of famer, Curtin Clayshaw, the heel hit Clayton Kershaw, the heel hit 700. Dude, he got literally everything right except for the pitcher. It happened in Dodger Stadium. Granted, it was off a of lefty, just went in Kershaw. But that's who he hit. Oh, no, 699 was off of uh, a lefty. But he still hit 700 the same night that he had basically predicted. And I was like, that's crazy. Absolutely insane. Yeah. No one of those, like, was... okay, you can see the future. Um, <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Crazy. The crazy, you know, crazy were... thing is, that might have been a Kershaw start had he not got hurt earlier in the year. Yeah. 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 Um, let's move on to a little more somber news, I guess. Um, oh, don't take me down. Uh, well, I mean, it really doesn't matter for you. It, it's almost kind of happy. Well, I don't know if it's happy for me. It's kind of messed up if I say that it's happy for me. But <laughs> um, Dayton Moore has been fired as the president of baseball operations of the Kansas City Royals. Was a GM there from 06 to uh, 2021. And was promoted to president of baseball ops this year and was just fired this past week. Um, and there goes Saquon, Saquon touchdown. Um, the only thing that I really know about Dayton Moore is that he's a grad of George Mason, which isn't too far away, um, which is kind of cool for us Virginia people. Yeah. But um, he – the Royals will now be on the search for a front office and – I think this is the beginning of quite a bit of, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say firings, but movement within the Royals because they just don't seem to be going anywhere. They won a World Series in 2015 and immediately just went downhill. So, I mean, uh, can you say downhill though? They went to back to back World Series in 2014 and 2015, and then they went yeah. downhill. Yeah, fair. And now they, they finished last, like, two of the past six seasons or something, and second to last in each other one. Yeah. Like, he's one of the GMs that, like, from afar, like, I've, I've respected. You know, like, it wasn't like I was following all of the Royal stuff. But, you know, even from that aspect of them winning the World Series, we're going to back-to-back and winning, you know, the second one. Um or winning and then losing, whatever it was, that his rebuild actually produced some results for for the Royals, like pitching and position players. Most cases in rebuilds, you see um, like one side or the other kind of get an advantage. You know, it's like, hey, either you got a lot of pitching and you got to go out and get hitting, or you got some young players, you got to go out and get pitching. But he's been able to kind of start to – they can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel still a little bit early, but you know, he's done a great job with them and he's a guy that w- he'll basically have his pick of places 
that he wants to go um, if he wants to keep being a GM. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what, what teams have some front office shifts um, and who, who would bring him in. Uh, I don't know if it'd be in a general manager role or a president of baseball ops role. We'll see. It's weird that he got promoted and then immediately fired. Um, kind of strange, but uh, maybe there's more to come out about that. Maybe not. Don't know. We'll see. I also, think a lot of it. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. You had. I was. I was transitioning. So. Okay. Ahead. Well, I was just gonna say with the Royals, a lot of their, a lot of this was, I feel like, out of his control, a little bit because he did put them in a best situation to succeed. It's just a lot of the prospects that he had gotten in the rebuild didn't quite pan out the way that we were all expecting. Obviously, Brady Singer's kind of turned it around a little bit in the second half, but, I mean, Daniel Lynch wasn't anything that anybody thought he was going to be. Even Brady – I mean, Brady Singer was supposed to be a stud. Yeah. He, I mean, he is respectable, but he's no ace. Yeah. Um, Brady Singer, but, Jackson, Kowar. I mean, it's really the pitching prospects that have not really panned out. Like, the hitting prospects yeah. – I mean, Bobby Witt was legit this year, was a 2020 yeah. guy – uh, MJ Melendez was really good uh, towards the end of the season. But um, Nick, Nicky Lopez, I mean, yeah. he's bang average, if not below average. I mean, probably below average, honestly, but maybe I'm being a little generous. But even still, I mean, he did put them – he gave them the tools, I guess. But, I mean, if anybody's got to take the blame or get the brunt of the fall, it's going to be – it's going to be the guy in that, that spot in the position that he was in. So, yeah. No, I blame I blame the guy that's in a dugout. Um, you should know by now that that guy isn't going to win you many games with his coaching expertise. And I tell you that because he was just down the highway a few years ago before we fired him. Um, I won't say his name. But, yeah, the guy that's in a dugout is who I blame. <laughs> He's he's a horrible manager. Like he might be a great guy, and like they really might like him, but managing and developing is not his strong suit. Sure, I I think it's a very combined effort between the entire. I mean, it takes an entire organization to suck that badly for a for that amount of time. I mean, uh, some of it was intentional. Some of it was intentional. It was self inflicted. Yeah. The only thing uh, they didn't do that would have made it worse for them, which they probably should have looked at, was hiring Jeff Albert because he, he definitely would have helped you tank quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the flip side of it, the Marlins announced that Don Mattingly will not be returning next season, um, which is a little interesting. I don't know. I, they weren't really in a position to win necessarily this year, but they haven't really gone anywhere. Like they've been very much of the same the past couple of years. Um, and I, I guess that they're kind of um, putting that up to Mattingly in his lack of coaching, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know why Mattingly is getting dismissed, but um yeah, he ain't coming back. I, I don't, your your transition was funny to me. It was like, hey, on the flip side, I was thinking we we're gonna have like more positive news, but it was like 
more you got fired or you quit. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, no, no. Yeah, but, uh, nah, like, I think you kind of hit it on the head. They were just kind of they were in neutral in a lot of ways, right? Like 2020 season, they play pretty well, but, you know, obviously it's a 60-game spread every season. They make the playoffs. Um, and then the last couple of years, <laughs> for whatever reason, they just hadn't been able to get to that gear again um, and be competitive in that division. But now when you start to look at <laughs> them being potentially uh, contenders for that division over the next couple of years with – the young pitching that they have, you know, maybe it's time for a different voice there, you know, to kind of kick them up. Cause in some ways you can kind of surmise that Madden kind of just got comfortable being in Miami. It was like, eh, it's whatever. Like there's no expectations. I get to be here, you know, in a nice area, <laughs> you know, and, and just kind of ride this out for a little bit. Yeah. But now to kind of spark that organization again, to give them somewhere. But I think that, you know, him making the choice to leave was kind of preemptive before, you know, they let him know at the end of the season that he wouldn't be back. So. I also think it's – I mean, they, like, tools-wise and players-wise aren't aren't a bottom, bottom, like, rank in the entirety of the MLB. Like, they – I think it's gotten to a point where they are not – comfortable with mediocrity anymore i think they're kind of maybe putting their foot down or maybe just tired of being a little bit of a punching bag for the rest of the nl east or maybe the top half of them in nl east so um maybe this could be a turning point but i don't see them i don't see anybody them bringing in would be a you know a difference maker and them being contenders or anything but hopefully it could be a step in the right direction for the organization as a whole or the Maybe just the Miami Marlins. Obviously, he's not going to coach, you know, the minors and stuff. But so I'm going to throw out a name that I think would be great there. Joe Madden. I think Joe Madden would be great for the Marlins. Here's why. One, yes, he's back in Florida where he did with the Rays, right? But if you look at what he did with the Rays, it was a very under the radar type of situation. Like, yes, you'll have a little bit more notoriety because for all intents and purposes, you can stack up, you know, or you would think that the Marlins top three pitchers next year can stack up with just about anybody in the NL East. Um, for sure, with Sandy, um, Pablo Lopez and Edward Cabrera being there at one, two and three but his ability to just kind of mix and match and try to get the best out of guys and put them in more favorable positions, but also a good personality for them. Like Don's, I, of course, I don't know the guy, but Don just seems like a very like cut and dry person, you know, like. Joe seems a little bit more hard nosed, hard nosed, but also more player friendly. Sure. You know, that, yeah. that they're going to because he's so hard nosed, but he can relate to the players or have a way of connecting with them that it'll get them to kind of loosen up a little bit, but they still know the expectations there. Right. Um and that's what we saw while he was in Tampa was yeah. a low key team that, that performed well and looked like they had fun. Yeah. So you know, and you start to get some other pieces in the air and you know, yes, you can talk about the offense, but you have some 
you have some bright spots to a degree. Um, you know, it's just now taking some of maybe even possibly taking some of that pitching depth that you have and turning that into, you know, more young hitters to be uh, productive or at least a semi-established guy, still relatively young, but, you know, not a prospect per se. Not a uh, Avisel Garcia. Yeah, true. That too. <laughs> that too. And Jorge Solares. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, nah, I, I think that, you know, he would be a good fit there, you know, for them. But Mattingly, I, I don't know. I thought this would have been like his claim to really kind of boosting a Hall of Fame resume. That even though he should, my opinion, looking at his numbers, he should be there as a player. But also, like, if you throw in his managerial stuff, I thought this would have been like a way to kind of give him a boost over top of that that he gets in one way or another. But uh, he may have to go try somewhere else to get that nod. Yeah, I'm thinking so. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move into our surprising players. This week we are doing the NL Central. So, Mike, we get to start off with your favorite team, the St. Louis Cardinals. So, Coots, once again, you're starting us off. Mike, then me. Coots, take it away. I am for the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm going to go with. The way Jordan Montgomery and Jose Quintana have joined forces to kind of cap off this, like it, it patched the holes they had in their pitching starting rotation from the first half. And I think they saw an opportunity with them to make their team complete in a way. I think they are kind of one of the more complete teams going into the playoffs. Not too many holes really anywhere but they did I mean they definitely gambled on Jordan Montgomery and Jose Quintana I mean Jose was coming over from from Pittsburgh and you can't really I mean there's no telling what somebody from Pittsburgh how they're going to fare elsewhere but he's I think stepped up in a major way for them along with Jordan Montgomery being in a you know a Yankee lifer going going somewhere else could have easily deterred him from performing well, but he's, I mean, he stepped up to the, uh, stepped up to the plate, but on the mound, I guess I should say. <laughs> so, stepped up to the mound plate. Yeah. So anyway, up to the I'm, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with, with their pitching acquisitions at the deadline and how they've helped influence their performance. I like it. Mike. I only get to pick one. Um, <laughs> nah, I'm going with uh, Albert Pujols. Um, for what he's been able to do overall, his own production, you know, obviously getting to 700, but my man is hitting 264, which in some ways you're like, oh, that's not that great. But if you think about where he's been at over the last few years of his career, um, he's hitting 264, 21 homers, and uh, 58 RBIs. Um, but more importantly, it's what he's done to stabilize the rest of the organization. I think that it's not by coincidence that uh, Goldie is having the type of year that he's having and Arenado being able to fill in where he's at. Um, but just overall, the spark, and like I said, Pujols is not hitting – 
some late inning meaningless home runs, just padding numbers like these are clutch at bats and really kind of giving a feel for everybody through throughout. But the reason I say it's surprising and I'll wrap this up is because um, I'll be honest, I think most Cardinal fans or most baseball fans thought it was just going to be a feel good story. Maybe he'll hit a couple home runs, have a couple big moments you know, for them, but for him to be such a focal point now, again, uh, offensively has definitely been the most surprising for us. Mike, you're going to hate the fact that I'm going to give a negative one here, but I kind of have to because of my MVP pick. Okay. So I veto your negative one because this is a celebration of Albert Pujols. So we will have no, I understand. we will have no you Cardinals. Took my Pujols and this was my second option. Okay, we'll just say – just say repeat Goldie. everything today. I thought you were going to say Goldie because of the Triple Crown watch and everything. Oh, no, but just but repeat what I say. We won't slander, slander the corners. Were, were too obvious for me, so yeah. I kind of threw the lob for you guys. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Tyler O'Neill. I thought he – like, he – if you guys remember back to the beginning of the year, he was my MVP pick. And An I don't MVP, yeah. been, I, I don't think I could have been farther from predicting that right. Um, he ended up batting 228 with 14 homers and 14 stolen bases. Um, and I, I don't like, I just don't understand what happened to him. Yeah, he got hurt a couple times this year, but like, just not good. Um, he was like a career 260, 270 hitter before, before this season, and his 228 average has brought him down to 250 for his career. So, um, I, I don't know exactly what happened there, but I thought. Maybe if the with with Goldie and Poo and uh Pujols and Arnado playing so well that maybe Tyler O'Neill would kind of be pitched to quite a bit and maybe he could get some pitches to hit, but apparently he's not hitting those pitches. So, um, unfortunately, so, I've got to go with my MVP pick. I and I understand your pick, and this is just my little tidbit on him. I think he over tinkered with his swing from last year either way like, it ain't good yeah no and it's not and it's too it was too drastic of a change from where he was at timing wise and mechanic wise that he did decent with it in the spring but when you actually start facing the guys like top five starters and not their minor league guys it makes a difference you know and then you get in the season and you struggle with it and you're like oh shoot how do i go back because you spent this whole off season, you know, retooling or tinkering your swing. And now everything is out of whack. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see why you say that'd be disappointing. However, we're going to finish on a positive note. Um, the Cardinals are really good. Can we also finish on the fact that Lars Newtbar is a fun name to say? Yes. yes. And dude, he's, a, he's like a cult legend right now. in uh, <laughs> in St. Louis, like, no matter where you're at, you're probably going to hear Newt. <laughs> like, I thought I was going to potentially choose him. He was like the first, like, lower name that I thought of. And then I realized he was batting 230. And I'm like, well, that's not really, like, surprising. In any way. A lower name yeah. that I think deserves some recognition is yeah. Brendan Donovan. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was going to say that. And I think he's kind of, he is, he is the flip side of what the opportunities that Pools gets is, is, him, I think maybe now the opportunity for for Brennan Donovan would be would just increase now that maybe Pools has got seven hundred. They'll see this as an opportunity for him to get things a little bit more more padded down, 
just performance wise going into the the postseason. But he's he's put up a really good season. He's very versatile. He offers a lot for them. Uh, he's not a primary, you know, one, he, one position. He makes it tough to not put him in the lineup every game. Like right. he constantly gives you good at bats. Um which I'm, I'm going to hate that I'm even saying this right now because I'm probably going to, like, regret it later. It's reminiscent of a young Matt Carpenter from a standpoint yeah. of working counts, using all fields, doesn't have nearly as much pop as Carpenter, but um, his ability to work account, he's not afraid to go deep into counts, but he's a lot more versatile, right? So he's played every infield position except for catcher, um, and every outfield position except for center this year. But like I said, he just puts together graded bats, righty or lefty, um, you know, hustles, plays great defense. So he's definitely a bright spot that I didn't see coming into this year because I was like, oh, everybody's talking about Nolan Gorman, and Brendan Donovan comes up and just what, what was supposed to be like a 10-day call-up because somebody got hurt, and then he ended up sticking around. So <laughs> – yeah, um, I can see that being a surprise as well. But yeah. see, that's how you finish on a positive note, Brian. Instead of taking away the thunder that we had rolling, I'm proud of you. Proud of you. I'm proud of you for finishing on a positive note. Yeah, unlike the Tigers, <laughs> we are finishing on a positive note. Calm down. Man. I was uncalled for. It's we going to be playing positive. well at the moment. Javi Biden is batting 400 this month. Yeah, the positive is going to be that your season is going to be over in like six days. That's going to be the positive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be the positive for you Our guys. Our season was over a week ago, but that's all right. That is true. Actually, it was over at the All-Star break. Mathematically a week ago. <laughs> in reality, um, it was over at the All-Star break. <laughs> Very Two true. weeks into the it season. It was over in April. <laughs> um, all right, the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, Mike, you're starting us off here. Hmm. <sighs> Say something nice about other teams, Mike. Say something nice. Um, That is true. That is true. Um, You know what? I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be nice. Please don't take mine. (laughs) Probably not. But, geez. Yeah, I didn't do my homework like Cooch did this week. So, um. Nope. I'm going to give it to their GM um, for making the move to get rid of Hater when he did. Uh, (laughs) One, it was surprising that, yes, you trade away an all-star closer, but apparently he knew something that no one else knew, or he started to see things. I love Um, that. I think the ERA started to go up. That's what he saw. Yeah, and he was like, ah, no, let's get this guy out of here. Um, Yeah, honestly, that was like the most surprising thing I'd seen this year, but for their offense, I will be very nice and say uh, Rowdy Tellez, um carrying it with 33 long balls and becoming somewhat of a force there. I mean, granted, he's still hitting 222. So it's simply a home run or an out. But out of those, you'll take those 33 uh, tanks with 86 RBIs. Can I throw like a, a, like a, like a 15-yard penalty here? Maybe you, you put out two of them and you took mine on the second one. Uh, well, did the first one really count? I was gonna go with my fat king. Oh, well, or my pick. 
He's a strong man. He's not fat. But now I have to go with Willie Adamas because he's big, he is, big bone. Because he has literally become Trevor Story, but in a Brewers uniform. He like he like switched powers with Trevor Story. Um, Willie Adamas batting two forty with thirty one home runs and ninety six RBIs this season. Literally became Trevor Story in a Brewers uniform. Um, while Trevor Story was sucking for the Red Sox this year. He's still getting used to things, all right? Well, he's getting used to the bench because he's hurt now. <laughs> He'll be fine next year. Moving back to short. <laughs> um, yeah, so Willie Adamas, I guess, since Mike took my fat kink. I'm going to go with a positive. Uh, the consistency of Corbin Burns is just – I mean, I think we can't talk about the Brewers without – without talking about Corbin Burns. The having having a number one that you can rely on every fifth day to give you a quality start is I mean it's it's a luxury that not too many teams can can confidently say. Uh he's leading and not only is he putting together good starts, I mean he's he's dominating m- like most of the hitters he comes up against regardless. He's second in MLB and K's Leads the team in war. I mean, there's not not too much that you can really argue with there. That he's been the bright spot for that team, and maybe not single handedly, but every fifth day he is definitely motivating that team to maybe a little bit more than if somebody else is on the rubber for them. So I think it's very very commendable for him that knowing. He is the one now after after what he did last year that he is the you know surefire number one. He has taken it and ran with it. So and I could say maybe Devin Williams stepping into the role that Josh Hader once had. Uh obviously it's big shoes to fill. I think he's done an adequate job. Obviously, it's a tough transition. He wasn't in too many high leverage ninth innings before this or before Hader left, but now they're kind of throwing him in there, and he's obviously he's doing all right because his stuff is nasty. So I don't think it really matters what inning he comes in. He's gonna he's gonna compete well. So that would be my second shout. And I have him on fantasy, so I'm able to see it firsthand. Yeah, this is not gonna lie, guys. It's gonna be a tough one for me, like to actually say nice about division rivals. Um, yeah, Brian, we can't hear you. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a good call. Um, <laughs> Technology beats the young guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, I should so have I recorded am, Mike. I am also <laughs> even trying to find something nice to say about any of these next three teams because it yeah. is. It feels nearly impossible. Um, I I guess I'm gonna. Uh, they have no one that even is available for the RA title. Um, I guess I'm gonna go with Christopher Morel. He like had like he kind of popped onto the scene as my sorry my dogs are fighting in front of me, um, but. Like he kind of popped onto the scene, had to, had like a couple of homers in his first couple of games, and um, and kind of cooled off there later. But I think he's going to be, he might be a mainstay guy for the Cubs. 
uh, to help kind of jolt their rebuild. Um, and so, I mean, I think that's the best thing that I can potentially say about the Cubs. It's not a whole lot. Definitely uh, not a whole lot. No, it's not. Coots, I think this one's on you. Okay. Um, I will go with my guy, Wilson Contreras. Uh, when he was obviously he's been he's been hurt for the past month or two I think he's pushing two months now but um he first half was the mainstay in the lineup guy you can easily rely on day in and day out uh probably very tough for him the past few years and especially last year seeing all of his his buddies go from the World Series run but he's hasn't really skipped a beat in my opinion. And performance-wise, he's – I mean, he's top of the team in war and many, many offensive statistics. So, I don't, I think without him, they would be in an even worse spot than they're in now. But it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. I know there's a lot of rumors of him leaving this trade deadline, this past trade deadline, I mean. So, we'll see what happens with him in the coming offseason and – into next year, so yeah, Wilson Contreras is my is my surprise. Not quite surprised, but I think it's what they need, in my opinion, and they he provided it. So, Mike, um, I I want to give the. Uh... I want to give credit to the pitching staff. They have seemingly taken the advice of the great Henry Rowan Gardner's mother when she told him to just float it. The difference is, is that the other pitch, the other batters aren't swinging and missing. <laughs> I, you know, I was curious where you were going with that because I was like, I don't think there's anything nice to say about their pitching staff. <laughs> they, they're just floating them up there and they are getting cranked. Like they've given up the 10th most runs, 10th most runs in baseball. Um, yeah, there's nothing positive about it. I guess if I had to pick a positive to be somewhat nice, I'm trying to say nice thing. Um, is Nico Horner has been the only bright spot, you know, for them throughout the year. Um, he's hitting 290 and, you know, kind of carrying some weight there. And he's handled transition from going from second to short, um, you know, this year. But I still like the fact that the pitchers are just floating it and guys are teeing off. Um, and the fact that Jason Hayward has already been told he's not coming back next year is also that's like a win for them that's like addition by subtraction so hmm. I, I can agree with that unless there's a rain delay if there's a rain delay then you might need them <laughs> um the cincinnati reds uh these this one at least has a few more nice things to say i think sure i think i mean there's been like two or three bright spots, I think, um, for a team that was supposed to be just horrendously bad. I think the Reds 
young pitchers or what the Royals wish their young pitchers were. With Graham Ashcraft, Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green, should have been should have been Brady Singer, Daniel Lynch, Lynch and Jackson and Cower. Yeah. yeah. So um anyway, I guess I'll I'll take it away for, for that being mine is their young young pitchers kind of stepping up and providing quality starts here and there. I mean, obviously Hunter Green had some blow up starts, but I think that's expected for, for young guys coming into the league. So um, Hunter Green, obviously his stuff's electric, but I think some of the advanced metrics on his fastball are, yes, it's 102, but it's, it's flat. Like it, you know, a lot of hitters, that's kind of a baseball term that like a fastball being flat just means it doesn't have a deceptive rise to it. That makes it some some fastballs tougher to hit than than other fastballs. So despite it being like 102, it could seem to the to the batter's eye not that hard if it doesn't have the right, you know, spin and and rotation to it. But anyway, that's definitely something he could work on. Obviously, he has the talent to do so, uh, to be elite, and he showed flashes of it already. So I think Hunter Green is definitely one to look out for, and then Nick Lodolo and Graham Ashcraft have. Kind of, I think we expected a little bit of some some positives out of Nick Lodolo, but Graham Ashcraft kind of came out of nowhere, in my opinion. Um, and I'm sure maybe you guys could agree to that, but um, yeah, I think these these young pitchers have stepped into stepped into some big shoes to fill, obviously with Mally and and Castillo going away. So I think they've done an adequate job. There's, I don't think they're expected to you know do too much, but I think they've done all right. Alrighty, Mike. Sorry, yeah. I, 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 my jaw was dropped because Ceedee Lamb just made a ridiculous one, like one-handed catch in the corner of the end zone to take the lead. Oh. Um, All right, carry on. <laughs> um, my surprising, and it's actually a really nice one for the Reds. Um, Alexis Diaz, like bursting onto the scene and not just like he's starting to make it. Yes. It's still his first year, but he's making a name for himself instead of just being Edwin Diaz's little brother. But like, he's just as filthy, you know, as Edwin is, you know, so if they play their cards, right, you know, he'll have a decent tenure there with the Reds, you know, of being a, a lockdown reliever towards the end. Um, in 56 games, he's six and two with a 1.81 uh, and 79 strikeouts and 59 and two thirds innings. Like, dude is is sick off the mound, and the fact that they are like David Bell has deployed him at different times, so it hasn't always been, hey, you're only throwing in the knife. Like he's thrown him, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, and the ninth at time, like not in the same game, but at different points you know, letting them get those leverage situations. So I um, think that's a bright spot for them, you know, that at least you say if we got the front end of the game covered or starting to get that figured out with Green, Lodolo, and Ash- Ashcroft, you Craft. know, Craft. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, when you say his name fast, it just sounds funny. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> like with, <laughs> with those three guys, <laughs> excuse me, starting games, 
Um, you look at what you could potentially have on the back end of the of the bullpen, you know. So you have some pieces there to build around. Now it's just a matter of filling out everything else. But that would be my bright spot for them. Another interesting thing is that Alex, it's it's cool to look at Alexis Diaz and Edwin Diaz have pretty much the exact same pitch same repertoire, motion. same yeah. motion, same motion and pitch repertoire. It's the yeah. um, near exact same mirror image crazy. of each other. And it's like good luck hitting either one. Yeah, and it's it, it, it. You would think maybe something would be different, and one would have drastically different numbers than the brother, but they are the exact same. He's he's Edwin without the trumpets. Yep. Um, my said my Reds pick doesn't even play for the Reds. Um, <laughs> my Reds pick is Brandon Drury. Um, in the in his tenure with the Reds, which was 92 games of this season, he had 20 home runs and 59 RBIs and batted 275. And because of that, the Reds got something out of him. A guy who was literally just a placemat for the rebuild turned into a 20 home run hitter in the first half of the season. And all of a sudden, he was a big trade deadline piece that they actually got some stuff out of. So... Props to the Reds for doing that because he went to the Padres and sucked. So um, the Reds, I guess it may, this might be on the Reds GM, but also Brandon Drury at the same time. So um, props to them for turning Brandon Drury into something worth noting um, because they weren't going to win. So might as well get something out of your guys that are doing well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's something positive to say out of, about the Reds. Also, Kyle Farmer's pretty good. He had a really good year. Also a pretty good return for Castillo. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Lot, lots of prospects coming in. Lots of prospects coming in. Um, I also I wanted to give a little honorable mention to Kyle Farmer, who batted 253 with 13 home runs, which that is very, like, uh, it's very not telling of how his season went. Because um, in one of these months, yeah, and he just had a really bad July and September. Because like in June he batted 322, in August he batted 291, um, had some really good months, uh, and was kind of the lone bright spot. And he plays a lot of infield positions, which is very good, including so, catcher. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is a fun one. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Mike, I think you're starting off. Yeah, you are. Uh, I won't take the low-hanging fruit of the one that somebody else is probably going to take because he hits the ball really hard every time he hits the ball. Um, I'm actually going to go on their pitching side and go uh, Ronsny Contreras. Um, if you haven't – if Listeners, if you haven't had a chance to watch him pitch yet, look him up. He's worth the look. Pitch today, actually. Yeah, and it's sick. Like, I mean, his numbers, granted, he's a rookie, but he's 5-5 five and five with a 3.72, 92 in his pitch, 86 punches. Um, but his stuff, it it has the making of being very, very good and not just from a – 
like his stuff is electric, but it's not like electric where you're like, oh, let's wait till we move him to the bullpen. You want to see what he can do for six or seven innings because I think once he figures it out and matures a little bit and learns um, pitching, whether it's sequencing or how to get guys out more consistently here, you know, he can be electric for six, seven, eight innings, you know, and just go. So um, that's my bright spot for them. They've always done a good job of like uh, grooming talent, but the problem is they end up trading it to the Rays. So he'll probably win a Cy Young as a Tampa Bay Ray in three years when they trade him there. So with Roronsi, he he reminds me, at least right now, of a Dylan Cease light in a way. His stuff's kind of obviously Dylan Cease is. His stuff's disgusting. I think you can say the same about about Contreras' stuff. Is but his his stuff and himself right now is just he's very raw. I think yeah. he just needs a lot of a lot more experience and, and reps. Yeah. At the at the major league level, so he's in a good. I mean, he's in a good on a good team to to get the reps in that he needs that you know aren't super high leverage, but he can get you know what he needs to settle in some more and become you know perhaps somebody that leads them to a winning season or somebody that can get them some, some sort of return. But I think he's, that was a good pick, Mike. Uh, yeah. Um, my pick is going to be one David Bednar. Um, he was a really, really, really good closer this year. Um, like he ended up as an all-star for the Pirates this season, he ended up with 17 saves and 21 opportunities, which doesn't seem uh, that good. But um, he only had a 2.77 ERA, which is pretty decent out of the bullpen because limited opportunities mean some more chances for your ERA to get ballooned. Um, but I don't know. The, the Pirates' bullpen has always kind of sucked, and David Bednar made it a little bit fun this year. And he's... 250 pounds at six foot one. So let's go with my fat kings. And he is an alum of, um, give me a second, Lafayette College. The same one Kyle goes to? Same one Kyle goes to. Really? Yeah. Oh, Matt, my bad, Matt. You missed it. No. Kyle was a guest earlier in the season. Um, Laf- he's a utility player, really plays a lot more second now for uh, Lafayette College in Lafayette, Pennsylvania. Um, friend of the show, and his dad is a good personal friend of mine. Um, we had him on earlier this year um, as their season was starting off. Um, we got to go down and watch them play twice against uh vcu you know so seeing him and shelly play against each other was actually kind of cool um so yeah that's that was a tie to it no no i was i was wondering but that's that's pretty cool yeah um but yeah um i am going to grab the low-hanging fruit here and say o'neill cruz um that is to say he isn't as productive as you know, the media makes him out to be, but he is obviously a high, a walking highlight reel. The, I mean, he's just an anomaly of human beings, six, seven shortstop, just stronger than, stronger than judge, if not the same, but 
he's definitely, I mean, up there with the best power hitters and he's playing a, you know, quote unquote specialty position that you don't see too much, too many six, seven, let alone like sell off for power kind of guys uh, there in the middle of the field. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's not too much. They just go just to go look up his name and find some highlight reel. He's, I mean, record throws across the infield, record exit velos, but he can't hit a curveball. So wait until the league finds that out. So, um, we'll see how he fares and in coming into next year. But it's definitely been fun to watch. But it, it seems like everything he hit is like 100 miles an hour or harder. Like yeah, up, down, into the <laughs> ground doesn't matter. It's going to be 112. It's like, and it doesn't and like he's not swing. It doesn't seem like he's swinging that hard. It's just one of those natural things where he has like lightning in his bat. You know that when he makes contact, it's hit hard. Um, you know, on the average, so it's like it's it's crazy to watch him because like again, a guy you think is hitting like one twelve, one fourteen is always kind of supplying it or trying to supply the power, but. Like his is just a, a swing and he's getting some great velo off of it. So yeah. he's just gotta remember. get he just has to get the angle. Sorry. I'll just never forget watching him in double A. I mean, every single ball that he hit felt like it was like four hundred miles an hour off the bat. And it I've never seen anyone like that, but it seemed like every single time he made contact, whether it was right at somebody or like or a, a double in the gap. I mean, everything was hit so hard. Not to mention he's top 10 in sprint speed and, and steel. I think – I don't know how exactly how, – or he's got uh, right here eight stolen bases, but I don't think he's necessarily as much of a stealing threat as just the just the speed he can get around the bases on, you know, extra base hits and stretching doubles into triples and scoring yeah. from first on singles, just things like that. It's just yeah. – it adds another that? aspect. Did you see that from the baseball savant page today? Did I see which part of that? Like the sprint speed? No, I just, I mean, I just kind of, I think it's him, Bobby Witt, and some, oh, Birdie, I think's up there. Gotcha. Yeah. The, um, so O'Neill Cruz has finally put enough games to where he can, he's, he has a baseball savant page now. Like he's eligible for the percentiles. And like they're a, kind of what you would expect like he's 100 percentile and like max exit velo 98th and average exit velo um like 98th and sprint speed a couple other things like barrel percentage is pretty high but like he's like the in the first percentile of like outs above average he is horrible defensively terrible like i i, I don't understand how like how he's so bad defensively because i always thought he was a pretty good fielder but I guess it's it's just his arm that he that he throws about 130 miles an hour across the field. But um, yeah, apparently he's just terrible at defense, which I didn't realize because I don't watch the Pirates. But well, it's I mean you got to kind of expect it. How I mean he he's probably a little bit more mobile than you know a six one shortstop. But yeah. you would think maybe his arm could make up for some of that, but not seventh percentile outs above average. That's for sure. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. It's okay. He's a top five MVP candidate in three years. <clears throat> you As a, yeah, absolutely. As the third baseman for the Tampa Bay Rays, because <laughs> 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 he won't. It's almost like Pittsburgh is like the feeder system for Tampa Bay. <laughs> and then, 
you know, they, they go to Tampa Bay and they start playing the World Series. So <laughs> I love it. Um any final thoughts, guys? Mike, congrats on your favorite player making history. Thank you. Um so part of my final thought is I need you guys to bring some more energy next week. Okay. Um I have been feigning or I shouldn't say feigning because okay so I shouldn't say feigning the reason that word popped in my head is because I've been watching intervention on um Netflix and it's a lot of people in Canada that have drug addictions that I've been watching don't know why uh okay complete sidebar but either way I haven't been at a rabbit hole in a while like in my like in the nicest way possible like I miss Shelly like <laughs> I mean, Shelly, Shelly and I would be like so far down rabbit holes like these last few weeks, and I haven't had that. So, like, either one of you guys go ahead and get a shovel and get ready to go down a rabbit hole with me next week, or I will dig myself down there and you will find me by the end of the episode when I come back out. In, like, so next week, because you guys, I think, should clinch the division this week, right? We should. Yeah, I, I think like it, it's like two or three. I think you're one, like magic numbers, like two or three, right? It's three. Three? It's three. So, yeah. I mean, next week, I think we're previewing playoffs. Yeah, well, we still got to I don't think anything yeah. else is going to change after you guys clinch the division. I don't think anything else is basically going to change from here. I, I got to look at the – let me look at the standings real quick. Unless Seattle keeps selling. The yeah. – Seattle is still up four games on Baltimore, though. With like ten games to play, that's a very tough comeback for Baltimore. Still a chance because I think Julio Rodriguez is still out. Like, like, let's put it this way: Seattle is four games above Baltimore and seven and a half games above the White Sox. Seattle is three and seven in their last ten. Baltimore is four and six, and the White Sox have lost six in a row. Apparently, no one wants to be in that third wild card spot. True. Um, I I scared of the Guardians. Let me just say that. The only thing is that it, Seattle and Tampa could probably flip-flop um, for second place. So we'll have to keep an eye on that for next week, see if that grows or not. Um, and also San Diego and Philly could flip-flop for third place uh, in the National League. So um, other than that, everything's pretty dang wrapped up. Uh, oh, also Milwaukee is one and a half games behind Philly. For because Philly is three and seven in the last ten games, so. Um, but the, I think the I'm just gonna check their schedules right quick, like who they have finishing out. The Brewers have um, something easy. I don't know if it's any easier than the Phillies. The Phillies got Chicago, the Cubs for three, Washington for four. Oh, wow. And then Houston for three to finish off. So yes, that was last three, but Houston may Houston may be kind of resting guys at that point because they can't really get any higher than where they're at. Um, the Brewers have two against St. Louis um, starting tomorrow, four against Miami, and three against Arizona. Oh, I also very much blew a big one that still has a lot of implications. That's the NL East. The yeah. Braves are a game behind the Mets right now. So, again, Ooh, well, that, that might schedules. come down to the last day of the season, So which I think they play each other in the last series of the season. I, um, I will let you they know do. here in just a second. 
Yep. Um, so, second so, last year. Second last, yeah. Um, Atlanta has three against Washington, which they won the first one tonight. And then they play the Mets for three and the Marlins for three. Um, that Mets the, series is going to be huge in Atlanta. Yeah. And then the, the Mets have Miami for two. Then they play Atlanta for those three, and then they finish with three against Washington. Um, so both all three teams or the two teams play everyone. Yeah. Um, play the same teams. Yeah. The like I said, the Cardinals three games, um, three games to fin like three games to clinch the division, with two head to head. So we play Milwaukee for two, and then we finish the season with six against Pittsburgh. Um, three at home, three on the road. What on earth? Yeah. So as well share a flight. <laughs> that's fine with me as long as that includes some champagne for us being division champs. Um, <laughs> I hear you. So, um, so any final thoughts? Because next week's episode is going to be fun. Obviously, we'll talk about the division races and everything. We'll kind of hold off on just like random news, kind of like the firings and stuff, unless something major happens. We'll hold off on that until the, after the season. So next week, we'll literally just be playoff preview and cover the NL West. And surprise players. NL West. Yeah. Well, so maybe next week we just give an update and then we can do we do a double episode next week? Like one uh, after the season ends for good. So I say, well, I guess to be fair, after that Braves Mets series, I think the playoffs might be wrapped up. Right. So that would take us right into our next Monday episode because they play over the weekend. Yeah. They play. They play Friday, Saturday. I mean Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um. So that episode would be more of, hey, who finishes out these last three games? Because neither one of them will lock up the division. Um, in that series with them, unless one of them gets swept. Um, that's the only way the division can kind of get out of hand, you know, so it's still going to come back to like those last series. Um, when was the last time two teams in the division won 100 games? Last year. Was it last year? Was the Giants and Dodgers? Yeah, Did Giants and Dodgers, yeah. I was, thinking, I was thinking that, but I couldn't quite remember. Yep. Um, okay, well, that kind of takes me to the point there. Never yeah. Um, <laughs> Final thought. Um, clear eyes, full hearts. I was going to let Coots go before you said I, that. I, I do it again. I was going to say something about Coots going first before you said that. But Coots, go ahead, because you know where I'm going back with it. No, no. I was, I was just going to say these Guardians are getting hot at the right time. And they could be scary if they are firing on all cylinders. But you could say that about any team in the playoffs. But I think they are just going to be maybe the, what that that dark horse team. Not not too many people are looking at going to the playoffs that could have a little you know chip on their shoulder going into it. Not this play the the team that's playing with nothing to lose is is what I'm getting the vibes of of with the Guardians. So. Um. One little tidbit, the Blue Jays kept the Yankees from uh, clinching the division tonight <laughs> with the 3-2 win in um, in Toronto in 10. So, I mean, granted, yes, there's just a matter of time, but they don't get to celebrate tonight. Um, how, uh, how many games? The Yankees are up seven and a half games. Could you imagine what would happen if they blew that? 
Um, stranger things have happened. I don't think so. I don't think anyone's blown a seven and a half game lead with eight games left in the season. <laughs> <laughs> stranger things have happened. <laughs> that would be something. Ooh, and um, Boone would so be fired. So, uh, God, so I, I fast. Think the, I think the entire city of New York would be on fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, so, wild prediction Judge stays at 60 for the rest of the season. I hope not. I really hope not. As much as I don't like the Yankees and I don't like the media in New York and the fans surrounding that team, like it's so good for baseball if Judge does it. I think he'll get it back when they go back to New York. Um. Okay, no. I'll take that back and say he doesn't get stuck on 60, but it probably won't happen until the last week of the season. Well, that's like in two days. Oh, okay. So, more context. <laughs> Jeez. They're playing Toronto and Baltimore, two teams that are chasing, like, for playoff berths and whatnot that I don't see him getting a lot of chances to hit. Like they're probably going to walk him in, in just about every situation. Um, even with Aaron, Aaron Boone batting him leadoff, like, they're going to walk him. Um, he's not going to get much to hit. You'll take your chances of, like, hey, I'll put a guy – I'll put him on – so that, um, you know, we can possibly get a double play and still get out of the inning yeah. uh, instead of pitching to him, even as a leadoff batter. Um, but he does finish the season with four games at Texas. Yeah. So they have nothing to play for. So they, they very much <laughs> may pitch him. Pitch to Fair. Him. Fair. Well, we'll keep you updated on that. Mike, do us the honors. Their eyes, full hearts. Javi Baez is your September player of the month. 